Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hi everybody, Mike here. Just wanted to pop in and give a quick disclaimer that the audio quality for this episode is not quite up to our usual standards. I apologize for that, but there was so much good content in this episode that we just had to release it. Hope you'll bear with us this one time. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila, and I'm joined by Michael Pratz and Cray Bolger. How y'all doing? Great. You have really precious enunciations this morning. Delightful. I just got back from a amazing trip to Madrid, Spain, Conceptos, 2019. Mike, did you know that I apparently can give full lectures in in Spanish? Did you know that? I was surprised and much, but... impressed. I was terrifying, but I think it went okay. Now, on the way back, I was able to read some of these journal articles that you found. And I think that you guys, my ultrasound family, might know this already, but like other people might not know this, that one of my favorite topics within ultrasound is vascular access. One of my favorite all-time things because I think it is so necessary and so useful. I like ultrasound guided peripheral IVs a lot. The second thing I like is central lines. And that is what the study we're talking about today, that is what it is all about. It is entitled Short Versus Long Access Ultrasound Guided Approach for Internal Jugular Vein Cannulations, a Prospective Randomized control trial. And it was published in 2019 in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. Now, reading the abstract, which you never should just read the abstract, but reading the abstract, kind of going into it, I was like a little bit, not worried, but a little bit, huh, you know, I was kind of like intrigued because it seemed to say something that was different than what I'd read before. Now, I'm just going to go if it's okay with you, Mike, I, I want to kind of do this backwards. Because if you just read the results, it basically says that when you're doing IJs, the long axis view is better than the short axis view, which is kind of counter the predominance of the evidence. So I was intrigued because of that, because it seemed to go against what, you know, the rest of the studies that I've, I've read have actually shown. And I think once we dig into the intricacies of how they did this, it might reveal why their results are a little bit different. Now, since this was a vascular access study, I really wanted to just enjoy every single word. So I read, you know, it pretty in depth and tried to look up the references and stuff. And when you look at their introduction, it seems like they already kind of had an idea of what they thought was good before even the study was kind of explained. And unfortunately, with not a whole lot of evidence. So from the start in their introduction, it seems like they're already convinced that the long axis view is better than short axis. And then this is the thing that was like a little bit interesting from my point of view is that they uh, report in their introduction that the two person technique for doing central lines. So, you know, one person holds the probe, one person holds the needer is superior to a single operator, which is when you look at the evidence, it's actually, it's not what the preponderance of evidence shows. And they don't actually have any like references to prove that. So it seems like it's their opinion kind of going into it. And that's actually going into how they did the study. I think we have to pause there though, because I wrote down two person, question mark, exclamation, question mark, exclamation point. It seems <laughs> none of us have done a two person central line, uh, possibly ever. It just is very far from what I think most 
people are doing for their ultrasound guidance. Is, is that fair to say? I would argue that it's it's significantly harder to do it as a two-person technique. Um, the, the reason why is because like the person that's holding the probe, they don't know like what I'm thinking if I have the needle in my hand. Um, I don't understand like the intricacies of the movements together. And when you're doing this in short axis, it has to be a dynamic approach, which that's super important. I'm going to talk about that in the method section. Um, you, you have to do a dynamic approach. So, you know, you have to move the probe and the needle together. You can't like keep the probe static and then move the needle. You can't do that. So just to give this, uh, this study a little tap out here, perhaps because they are team long axis, could you see a benefit to a two person approach? which maybe is why they're like touting it so much because the opposite is in fact true that I don't want the probe to move at all while I advance my needle. And so if that person's job is just to keep their eye on the needle and your job is to move the needle and look for blood, then maybe for a long axis, which is their clear preference, this is a better approach. That's a good point. And, and perhaps we could, um, purchase one of those little paddles with the ball and the string to do with your other hand while you're doing the aspiration with your dominant hand. Cause otherwise, what are you doing? What are you doing with your free hand? Ball in a cup. Okay. Ball in a cup, but <laughs> sterile, obviously sterile. Fidget obviously a sterile guys. Cause we we only do, we only do things safely. Great. So tell us how they went about this. So as we've kind of covered, they were trying to see which way short versus long was safer and faster. Um, so who did this? It was anesthesiology residents who had had about three months of training. Um, this was not the primary care provider for the patient. So as you can see, we've already got a different setup. The fact that they were able to have two people at the bedside to just do a line, different than most of our probably clinical practice environment. Was it actually, just to clarify, because it would matter, the anesthesiologist was, they were experienced, they did the line, only the resident was holding the probe as part of the two yes. person. Two person, yeah. I hadn't gotten to that part yet. I know, I know. But I, <laughs> otherwise, if, if it was only like someone with three months of experience doing these central lines, then the yeah, results might be bogus. Three months of ultrasound training, yeah. sorry. So resident ultrasounded, attending did the procedure. And their time was not full setup time, ultrasound prep, et cetera. It was from time to skin puncture to wire insertion. They also looked at complications. So rates of arterial puncture, hematoma, catheter misplacement, pneumothorax, and hemothorax. And the main thing they were looking at is the difference between short versus long axis in time. Secondarily, they were looking at number of punctures and rate of complications associated with each approach. Um, they said they needed about 49 patients per group to see a statistically significant difference between the group. Now, kudos to these authors for registering their trial on clinicaltrials.gov. I took a look there and there are some subtle differences that might be relevant. One is that when they first set out to do this study, they were going to do a single operator short axis versus a double operator long axis. And it really seemed from the way they described it there that they were they thought that by adding that second person to the long axis, then maybe it would be superior to the short axis. Somehow by the time they did the study, it ended up being double operator for short and long axis. So that changed. And then they also seem to add on a couple more exclusion criteria, taking out patients that were obese, taking out any other site besides the right internal jugular vein, 
And then they also made it more of a convenience population because they excluded a bunch of patients when none of these anesthesiologists were available to do the central line. Craig, what is short and long axis? I don't know what those are. For this, both approaches, they use the linear probe. And how you do the short axis is you identify the vessel in short axis, which means the vessel is round. You compress it to make sure you're targeting the vein and you leapfrog down the vessel as you're advancing your needle. In the long axis, we rotate the probe 90 degrees so that the vessel, instead of looking like a circle, now looks like a tube. And for this approach, we keep the needle in plane and we don't actually move our probe. And we um, access the vein in plane, watching the needle the entire time from skin puncture till venipuncture. The downside to long axis is we can't really see any of our surrounding structures, such as the carotid artery, nerve bundles, etc. And if our needle gets lost, it's much harder to find it with that approach. Versus in the short axis, I can see the carotid, my depth to puncture, and any surrounding structure, and have a little bit more of a panoramic view of the area of interest. You know, when reading this though, I'm not convinced they used the leapfrog or the dynamic guidance for the short axis. Like, I don't think they did that. Because if you read their technique, it says a real-time image of the IJ was obtained by placing the transducer in a transverse orientation on the patient's neck at the level of the cricoid cartilage. The needle was inserted at 30 degrees to the vertical towards the vein with gentle aspiration. Ultrasound was performed by a resident, blah, 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 blah. So it doesn't say anything about moving the probe. So I don't think they moved the probe. I think they used static guidance for their short axis technique. At least that's what it appears based off of reading their methods. Yeah, and that's, we see that in a lot of our learners as well, where it's kind of uh, scary to watch, but they visualize the vein and then they plunge it in like four centimeters at once and they're like, oh, I got it. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we don't like- Only on the phantoms. Right, we don't, we don't teach that way. Stepwise, moving the, the probe and then the needle. So you're always sure that you know where your needle Point is even in short axis. So let's talk about the results here. Let me just say that when you take a look at their consort diagram of the exclusions here, it's a little bit confusing because if you exclude all of the patients, then you end up with negative patients. So there's some loss of 100 patients in the exclusion somewhere. It doesn't add up, and I tried a couple times. So somehow they had 100 patients, which meant they had to exclude a fair amount of people because there was no one available to do the line that was part of the study. So possibly up to 80% of the patients were excluded for that. Hard to say without knowing the full numbers here. They ended up with 100 patients, that much is clear, and they randomized them to short and long, 50 in each group primary outcome was the mean time of insertion. For short axis, this was 74 seconds, long axis, 70.3 seconds, no statistical difference. So primary outcome, no difference, short versus long. Secondary outcome, they looked at total procedure time, and that took, the time there was about six minutes. Again, not statistically significant difference. Now here's where we get some differences. Number of needle sticks, long axis was superior one versus two mean number of needle sticks. Percentage of first time success, long axis again wins, 96% compared to 80% of short axis. Complications, again, long axis wins, 8% versus 26%. 
And this was driven mostly by extravasations and posterior wall punctures, which would be consistent with the advantages of the long axis approach. But I mean, they, to be fair, they likely had that issue because they weren't using dynamic guidance. I agree. Because that's how you, that's how that happens. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying and what I think we all believe is that this is a little bit of a straw man comparison because they went into it thinking that long axis was better and then they did a poor job of doing a short axis and then they found that long axis was superior in some ways. Exactly. Well, what other limitations do we have to consider? Because I think that we've hinted that we don't fully believe all of these results. So I don't think we can definitively say long axis is better. I would say the way they were doing it, long axis was better. However, I think we know that as Jacob described, the static approach to short axis is probably in the first era of ultrasound guided vascular access and not what we're currently practicing. So when you just found something and poked at it, that's not what we know the right approach is. We need to see our needle the entire time we're accessing any target in the body, and that's not what they're doing. Um, and if that's not what they're doing, you're comparing apples to oranges, essentially. So if you did a live, real-time following your needle in your short axis, would they get the same results? Because you can't not follow your needle in long axis, and that's one of the benefits of it. Um, and yes, you can lose your needle in the short axis, but if that's the case, you should be trained appropriately to not advance. And I think that's one of the pitfalls of the study is it seems that there maybe was either a lapse in training or guidance in regards to the short axis, which may have been um, self-serving in a small way to serve their initial hypothesis that long axis is better. This whole two-person operator thing is just a completely foreign concept to me. I don't know how it's feasible or helpful for that matter. And could be dangerous. It could be dangerous. I mean, you have one more person to get exposure if you have to like add something else in. So I'm not sure how relatable this study is to um, a lot of people um, who may be doing real-time short axis needle guidance and only a single person. Now on the count of three, let's all say what type we do when we're doing central lines. One, two, Short Three. axis. Short axis. Yeah, that's what I kind of assumed. And I, it could be part of how you trained and what you're comfortable with. That's always a consideration in choosing which one you do. Because people that, I know people that do long axis and they do it well and safely and they're used to that. And I don't have a, a fault with that. And the thing is that these are anesthesiologists, so they may do more long axis with their other techniques. Like they do a lot more in plane for things like nerve blocks even potentially their peripheral lines are in plane. So this may have been their choice. Yeah, actually, I was surprised. They say that both of these operators had exactly 50% long and 50% short. So I don't know if they like alternate every time, but I was impressed by that. So uh, supposedly they, they covered for that by being equally skilled at both types. Now, what do you guys think about the idea of teaching short access to learners earlier on, and then maybe they can do long access when they become more skilled. Because I think that's an idea that's out there. Maybe early on, that might be safer. I like the hybrid approach where you go in short. If you lose your needle, I think scanning over it in long, the two axis approach rather than the two person approach, where if you really can't find your needle before you advance any further to prevent these back wall punctures and hematomas, go into long axis fan and see where you are. 
I prefer advancing in short axis because then I can see the carotid and know how close or far away from it we are. Um, and especially in our hemodynamically compromised patients, that IJ tends to get really flat. Your blood tends to be very dark. The likelihood that you puncture the carotid goes up and that you don't realize it goes up because you're not gonna have high flowing bright red blood. I think that's an, an excellent point. Don't feel like you're forced to choose just one because you know maybe this whole thing was just a false choice. Now, I think we can't close out this discussion without discussing oblique. No. Should we do it in between short and long axis and get the oblique? For those of you not familiar, oblique, essentially you start with your short axis view of the IJ and then you rotate it such that you can do an in-plane approach to a kind of oval-shaped vessel with theoretically getting some of the benefits of both of those. No, thank you. So the reason, if I may, I don't know if you have the same issue with it, Mike, but the reason why is we're mostly doing this, let's just be statistically like sound here. Most people are right-handed. I'm not most people. I'm left-handed. Craig and I are both left-handed. Yeah, your statistics aren't working out here. I am in the minority, <laughs> but let's assume that you are right-handed. So the stabby thing needs to go in your dominant hand, right? So if you're doing a right IJ, you have the probe with your left hand and you have the needle in your right hand to do an oblique, you are going directly into the direction of the carotid artery. Um, so it, it doesn't work in practicality unless if you happen to be doing the left IJ, because your trajectory would be going away from the carotid. Um, you can do definitely switch your hands up, which if you get a lot better and maybe you're ambidextrous, maybe you could put the stabby thing in your left hand and then you wouldn't have that issue with it. I think that with the oblique, as long as your trajectory is going away from the carotid instead of towards the carotid, I think that would work. But just, I mean, the way the carotid and the jugular kind of sit, it, it's not, it's a technique that in theory, I think would be pretty sweet but in reality doesn't work as well as I think people think it would work. I think doing short axis, going into the vessel, and if you you know have, a, let's say, a super flat you know, peripheral IV or central line, you can always get into or get to the point where you think you're in the vein with a short and then turn it into the long before you actually slide the thing fully into the vein to make sure that you're not accidentally poking through that back wall. All right, well, let me summarize this study. This was a prospective randomized study from an ICU in India where they enrolled 100 patients, 50 in short axis, 50 in long axis. Remember, they used a two-operator method here for both of those approaches, and their main findings were that there's no difference in the time, but maybe the long axis had benefits with regards to the complication rate and the first-time success rate. The take-home points that we have from this are that using a two-operator technique for internal jugular vein cannulation, there's no significant difference in procedural time between short axis and long axis. And although this study showed that the long axis group was superior with regard to first attempt success and complications, interpret these results with caution for many of the reasons that we discussed. I do want to thank the authors for this intriguing study Really cool to know about this two-operator technique that many people are doing out there. 
And thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want to hear more or find out more, go to ultrasoundgel.org. You can visit our Facebook page or talk to us on Twitter, where we'd love to hear from you. Until then, we'll talk to you later. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. What is he doing with his eyes? That's so crazy.